kids, you could all open up your bulletins. You have a little outline there. We could follow along in the outline. We are going through the book of Deuteronomy, a tremendous, tremendous book. A book that speaks about the master, the Lord, the ruler, the king, the sovereign, and as my wife doesn't like when I say the suzerain, but we need to know. Suzerain is the king, the master. He has a treaty with his people, the servants, the slaves. And God in Deuteronomy, in a sense, has made a contract between himself and the people. And he's told the people that he will always provide, care for, take care of them, meet their every needs. And all he asks from them is loyalty, love, faithfulness, and devotion. It's a tremendous, tremendous contract. The whole book begins with a little preamble, goes into a couple chapters that we've already looked at, historical, how God brought him out of Egypt, brought him through the Red Sea, brought him down to Mount Sinai, brought him up to the east side and took him through Edom, Moab, sons of Ammon, brought him to the point of the entrance into the land. And that's where we are. Moses is going to, God's going to take him soon. He's giving his last, I think, four sermons to the Jewish people, telling them about all that God's done. We're in the point right now where God is asking, giving stipulations to his people from chapters about 5 uh, through 27 or so. God is asking for love, loyalty, gives them the details, repeats his laws that he wants. He expands his laws from, from the book of Exodus, and he's repeating that. Then God will ratify this co- covenant with the people, and he will set before them, if you follow me, I will bless you greatly. If you don't, I will discipline you and deal with you severely, Gen- uh, Deuteronomy 28, 29. And then we see the transfer from the servant, the messenger of Moses, to Joshua. That's really your book of Deuteronomy. Great, great, great book. We are in a, a great passage right now as God is starting to ask the people for loyalty and love and turn their hearts to him. Now, I, uh, I have this good ability and bad ability that when I focus, I focus. And sorry, nothing else matters. I'm just so centered. Someone, my good friend actually, you know, Michael Rodelnik, for years he was telling me to read the book, The Source. It's a nice small book, about a thousand pages. But so I got into the book, and I would recommend it. To me, it's one of the greatest books ever written. Michener, first hundred pages, not so good, difficult. But I get into a book, nothing else matters in life. It's ridiculous. I'm so focused, I don't sleep. I usually just do it in a night or two. I'm a slower reader, so it just takes me maybe two or three nights where it takes you much shorter. But I, I just, I'll read right through the night. Nothing matters. I get home, I tell people, this book, this happens to be one of the greatest books I ever read. It was like every night I couldn't wait to get home and look at my, it wasn't a movie, but the book was like a movie. It's great. I get focused. It becomes the center of everything. We do that in life, all of us. Guys, girls, you meet somebody. Forget it. The whole world revolves around the person you just met. I had that. I remember when I first met Fran. Nothing mattered. She was everything. Actually, my friends tell me. You know, I used to count the days down until we get married. From, was, I don't remember. They said it was about 120 days. And every day I'd see someone, 119, 118, 100, all the way down to one. You know, I was such a pain. But you just focus. It's the center of your life. You buy a new car. You lose your mind. 
polishing it, taking care of it, new home. We do it in almost every area. We make something short-lived sometimes. You first become a believer. I first became a Everyone first becomes a believer. All they do is get into the Bible. They're really focused. Oh, it's wonderful. It's alive. I couldn't believe when I first started reading the story. And then, unfortunately, it, you know, we fade away. But at first, it's everything. People come to Shuva. They come here and go, wow, this is a great congregation. I didn't even know you existed. It's so great. It's one of the best Messianic congregations. I just love it. Then after a while, we're not so great anymore. At first, everything. Then after a while, you're too Jewish. Well, you're not too Jewish. You should do this. The dance is good. Too little, too it. Your song is too Jewish. Not too Jewish. Everything changes. But at first, everything's focused. That's what Moses is doing in this passage. He is gearing us all down to one of the most important things in everything that he's going to say. He's focusing right here. And what he's going to do in this section, he's going to tell us the most important thing in your life and my life and all our lives. God must be the center. It's what I call you must become a fanatic. Now, Mike Brown, uh, he's a little different. He says you must become normal. He calls it normal, what we should be doing. I call it fanaticism. But it's the same, we're saying the same thing. You should be on fire for the Lord. He says all believers should be, and I say that, you know, we should, all, uh, we should also all be. Focus. And this passage is going to tell us God is the center of everything you do. His word, center, everything you do. Everything revolves around that. And if you make God the center, and you make his commandments controlling your whole life, directing your life that we don't like controlling, you will be blessed by God. It's always that way in the word. God's very, very simple. Follow me, I bless you. Don't follow me, you're punished. Discipline. It's very, very simple, the word of God. So that's what we're looking at. And we have a section. Take out your outlines if you have it, because I want you to follow along with me if you can. And it's the section, what we call the Shema. And um, it's, uh, take out your outlines. I want you to see it. The most important thing right here, we were going to get into what is it called today, is the Shema, how important it is. Listen. Jewish people all over the world say this. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. V'ahavta et Adonai Elhecha. V'chol levavcho uvchol nafshecho uvchol miyadecha. V'hayu hadvarim ha'ela asher anachi. Mitzavcho hayom alavavecha. V'shinantom levanecha v'dibarta bom. B'shivtecho b'veitecha. U'vlechtecho v'aderek. U'vshachbcho uvkumecha. I did that for a reason. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, uh, with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be upon your heart. You will teach them diligently to your sons. You will talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as fronts on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Now, why did I say that? Why did I just do it? My father, he lived about 80-some years old. Every day for his life, I don't know what, at what age he started, every day I would see him. In the morning and at night, and he would do what I just did. 
He'd do it even faster than I did because he got used to it. So I said, I have to eat them. He didn't say the English. Never said the English. Jewish people say that this is the center of everything. The Shema. In the synagogue, I'm not sure. Stuart's here. Those of you who don't know, Stuart Dowerman, celebrity. We got him with us today. Good. Good to have you, Stuart. I think they say it seven times during service. Am I wrong? About, I think it's about seven times during a normal service. We hear, we're messianic, one, you know. Maybe it's not enough for some, but we do it. Jewish people always say the Shema. It's that important. It's the center of their lives. Rabbi Akiba, as he was killed, I think he had his skin torn apart, torn off, died saying the Shema. Holocaust victims, 60, 70 years, went into the uh, uh, gas chambers with the Shema on their lips. It's that important. And I think sometimes as believers, we forget the importance of God. We take him for granted. That's one thing our people have, such a zeal. Some of the religious Jewish people, they have a zeal for God. And they're seeking him out. We need to have that same zeal, that fire to make God the center of our lives and his commandments. And forgive me, I want you to be a fanatic. Mike Brown wants you to be normal. Normal is the same as fanatic. It means controlled in this world, but be a strong believer. Fill it in, if you will, what's so important, God and his commandments. This is what I think the section is telling us. Making God's commandments the center of our lives will bring God's blessings in your lives or to your lives. Making him the center. Follow along with me. Two sections in this, if I can cover them. One, God exhorts and encourages us to follow and obey his word. He's always doing that. God's always, I mean, that's, it almost becomes repetitious, but repetition is good. I believe in repetition. God exhorts and encourages us to follow, obey, what did I say up there? To encourage us to follow and obey his commandments. He's always done that. He said to Abraham, because you followed me, this, 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 we'll be blessed. He said to Isaac, because you're going to follow me, or you should follow me to this. Jacob, you follow me, obey me. I will take care of you, Jacob. Follow me. God's always, you know what I love what he says? We're going to see it today. What he says to Israel in Deuteronomy, and I, and I purposely say it this way because we just see the English words, but it looks like God is almost saying to our people, you should follow me. That's the way I read it. You should follow me for your own well-being. That's what it seems like. Fill it in here. One, A, God's word should be observed daily. It's not to read it once a month, once every Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, once every Hanukkah, Purim. Daily, you should be reading God's word and striving to follow it. And sometimes I get convicted. I, I read the word of God in the morning, every morning, and, and then next morning I woke up, I said, what did that mean yesterday? Did I follow anything you said? Did, it's got to be daily in my, li- in my life. Everything he says. That's what I like to read it in the morning. You read it at night, I'm happy, but you go to sleep, it's gone. Read it in the morning. At least it refreshes your, your and you should remember it. Follow along, Deuteronomy 6.1. Moses says, this is the commandment. The statutes and the judgments, God's ordinances to the Jewish people, which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you. This is the commandment. There's a question on what the commandments. I'd like to summarize them all. It's God's past commandments to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Well, this whole word. 
present commandments that Moses has given them, future commandments that God has given the Jewish people. These are my words that you need. This is the manual, the instruction for life. It's funny. Today, I'm not technologically savvy like some of you. So I, I really struggle when I finally get a new iPhone or an iPad or a new computer. Even for that matter, recently bought a, a, a new used car, and I didn't know how to use the radio. You know, I liked the old way. I turned it on. I can't turn it on anymore. I got to go into the shop and find out how to use it. Then they tell me the worst thing in the world, here's the manual. I'm scared to death I look at this thing. I said, I just want to turn a button on. Give me my old phone where I can dial it. I, you know. But it's a manual of guidance and just instructions to give us. That's what we have. God gave us a manual on how to live. The good thing is it's not as complicated as my iPhone or my iPad. Yeah, I know there's different interpretations. That's okay. But we, and we can have fun. I recently went... Was this I think this week to New York, Queens, we had what we call Borough Park Symposium. And I'm really appreciating it. At first, years ago, I didn't appreciate it. Now I do. Because people say, what is it? I said, well, it's all Messianic leaders all over the world. They come from Israel. They come from all over the world. And they present papers. And you know, it's what I like about it now, which I didn't like before. Now, I find people on this side of the spectrum and the views they have. And I go, hey, go vote. It's all kinds of weird, strange views. I like it. Then I hear someone on this side of the spectrum, and they're giving their views on a league of votes. But you know what I like? I'm learning to appreciate all of them. And I'm learning to accept all of them. I disagree. I disagree. I'm right. I'm sorry. Well, no, no. I, I don't, but I'm enjoying that fact. God gives us commandments to read the Word of God. We're going to have difference of interpretation. We need to certainly appreciate and stretch. And that's why I really liked this symposium, because it stretched me and makes me think this guy and this guy and try to come up with my own thing. Moses says, the commandments, the judgments, I've given you these things. Um, Commanded as God commanded me to teach you. Now, it's interesting because the passage, because Moses is telling the people, I'm here to teach you. God's always done that. He raises up his servants, his messengers, his prophets. Moses to teach the people. Later on, Joshua would teach the people. Later on, Samuel would teach the people. And the prophets would teach the people God's commandments. It's funny because you know what I get from that? That we should all teach the people, not just me on Saturday morning. We need to teach each other. I enjoy getting together with a bunch of men. And it never fails. They come up with ideas. I never thought of that. It goes on and on all the time. We stretch one another. I think there's a biblical pattern that God has always taught us through the Word of God. We are to teach others. You're not to come here Saturday morning and hear me. You agree with some of the stuff I say. You don't. That's okay. I never mind you don't agree with me. I never mind that. You're just stuck for an hour while I tell you my views. But anyway, you go out. We need to disciple one another. It's the biblical pattern. One-on-one. I don't know what to do, you say. Of course you do. Tell someone how you got saved. Tell them some of the verses. Share and talk about the verses that you know. There's always something to say one-on-one, one-on-two, one-on-three, 
Five of you get together. It's good to stretch one another. It's good to evaluate. I think it's a biblical pattern. We see the, the great rabbi Saul did this. Timothy, for, look at me, Second Timothy. He says, the things which you've heard from me. Where did he hear from him? Well, he, he heard directly from Yeshua and possibly from some of the apostles. The apostles taught him, and he's teaching Timothy. And he's telling Timothy, now I want you to teach others as well. Not one of us has a hold on the truth. Don't think when I get up here, I know it all. I don't. I've looked at a passage and come up with something to try to teach you and help you. Some of you can study it and learn much more than me. And look what it says. It says, from me, the things you've learned in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these two faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's what we need to do. That's the biblical pattern in our lives. Moses says in Deuteronomy 6.1, Now this is the commandment, the words, the judgments, statutes, which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you that you might do them. Very important. We just fly. If you're reading the word, good. But sometimes we just fly over it and even don't even see it. To do them. That's the purpose. Let me teach you the word. My teacher, I've told you. I had, uh, you know, you have the, the Ryrie Study Bible. I had Charles Ryrie. And he used to hate. He would not like when a teacher would get up there and say, today I'm going to be practical. He says, we're always supposed to be practical. He said, theology is so we can do and change and live. It's not enough just to know. Moses is giving him the words and he says, so that you might do them, live them, day in and day out, observe, follow my commandments in your daily lives, in the land where you're going as you live. Here's your manual. Moses wants them in their life. At work, you're supposed to live godly. At school, in your home. As we live out your lives, these are the things I want you to do. See, the word is supposed to govern your life and change you all the time. I had an extra neighbor in Jersey, Jewish guy, his wife, the Fines, loved them. And he looked at me, and he used to say to me, Larry, you are the most unorthodox minister I've ever seen. I'd smile. I love it. He says, why do you do what you do? And the answer, well, I could say I love God, I follow God, but the answer is simple. I follow the manual. I try to. Do I fall short? All the time. Do I make mistakes? All the time. There's provisions. I confess it. I admit it. I'm sorry. I'm wrong. Anyway, you follow the manual. That's what you do. And I used to love when he says, why? He says, because he had a certain expectation of what I'm supposed to do, but I didn't do it because I tried to follow the Bible. See, the Bible, God's statutes, commandments, laws, are supposed to govern my day. It governs my week. It governs my month. It governs my year. It governs my life. And my future. I am supposed to allow God's word to speak to me concerning my school. Concerning my job. Concerning my future. I look in the word of God. Now, I do believe God speaks also. Maybe not so audibly. See, I, always, I believe in two ways God communicates. One is what we call objective. Objective, something objective, that's the word of God. God speaks to you. People go to Bible schools and seminaries, they do that, and sometimes it becomes rote and ritual. And, but there's another way God speaks. Don't get me wrong. It's what I call the mystical, subjective, where God puts it upon your heart. 
They go together. If you're not in the word, I don't believe God's really speaking to you. I'm sorry. That's just my opinion. If you're in the word, oh boy, God speaks to you plenty outside the word. He puts it upon your heart. Now, God will never put on your heart anything that goes contrary to his word. But why I'm getting sidetracked is because I'm up here and I've had too much coffee. So we go. Here we go. Um, Yes, okay. So it's to do them, to do God's commandments and observe and let him govern everything in your life. And he says that you might do them in the land where you're going over to possess it. And he, we should be observing God's word day in and day out, hour by hour, conversation by conversation. It should govern our lives. Follow along. B, keeping God's word should, will bring blessings in your life. Do, Moses says, so that you... Larry, you, me, so that you and your sons had no sons, so my daughters, Rachel, Rebecca, and your grandsons, that would be granddaughters also, my Nava, my Seth, my Aaron. God speaks to me so that I might do it so that my kids will learn to love, fear, respect, honor, and be in awe of him. That's what God wants me to do. He wants me to pass it on to my children. Parents are required to do that, Moses said, so that you and your son, your grandsons, might learn to fear respect, honor, have reverence. It all begins with loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. There's a king in Israel's history, we know, Solomon. He had it all, let me tell you. There's nobody who's never given anything more than Solomon. Solomon's father was King David, a man after God's own heart. Solomon was given the greatest kingdom Israel's ever had. Solomon was given more wisdom than any of us could ever dream of. Solomon had more money than anyone could ever dream of. He had it all. And then we see he lived his life. And then we have a little biography, autobiography, at the end of his life. With everything he had, at the end of his life, he was a frustrated, saddened, maybe depressed king who, in a sense, almost lost. He didn't lose it all in his time. In his son's time, he lost it all. But he writes a book of his frustration and sees the emptiness of life that we put such importance on. And as I'm getting older, I'm realizing more and more. I see everything I used to think was so important. I'm at the airport this week, and I see men walking around with their phones. Yeah, yeah. Someone said, tell someone to do this. Sell this, do this, do this. I'm looking. And I used to be impressed with people doing work. And I used to be impressed with lawyers doing lawyering. And doctors doing doctoring. And people living. And I sit back and say, what are they doing? They're trying to survive. You know what's important? Loving God. Following his commandments. Solomon ends his life by telling us that. After all that's said and done, here it all is. And I've done it all. And you've done nothing that I haven't done. I've done more than you. Here it is. Fear God. And keep his commandments. That's it, folks. Yeah, you have to live and you got to make a life and you got to get through this life. Fear God. Wisdom is loving God. That's a smart person. I love, quote a couple verses for you. Follow along. Psalm 1, 11, 10. I could drop some of these, but the fear of the Lord, fearing, honoring, trusting, being in awe of God, that's the beginning of sechel, wisdom. That's the beginning. It all starts fearing God. Good understanding of all those who do his commandments. You're wise. You're smart. Do his commandments. You're smarter than everyone in the world. 
His praise endures forever. Proverbs, Proverbs 1, 7. Beginning of all the Proverbs, beginning of all wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Those who don't fear God, forgive me, are fools. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. I want to take you through one of my favorite passages in the Bible. I love it. I'm sorry. Follow along with me. Job. Some of you are getting nervous. You'll like this, I think. Job 28. Job asked the question, or I'm not, now I should have known. I don't know if it's friend or him. One asked the question. So where is wisdom to be found? Everything that's taking place in Job is advice in him and all his struggles. So all of a sudden, someone asked the question, huh? All right, where can we find true wisdom? Love it. Follow. Follow with me. And where is a place of understanding? Well, where am I going here? Man does not know his value. Man doesn't know. Man can't give you wisdom. Man doesn't know wisdom because it doesn't come from man. Watch. Nor is it found in the land of the living. Ken, I love that whoever writes this, I, I should know which. I mean, Job wrote it, but anyway. In the land of the living where I can't find wisdom in all the world? No, you can't. Wait a second. Listen, I can go to Harvard. I can go to Yale. I can go to Oxford. Can't find wisdom in this world, folks. No wisdom. That's what he's saying. The deep, down deep. I don't know if it's the bottom of the sea or in Hades or what. The deep, I love it. It's like the deep is alive and down below the deep goes like this. The deep goes, not here. Wherever the deep is, it's not down there. Deep says, not here, not me. And the sea says, it's like the sea's not here either. Go look somewhere else. We don't have any wisdom. Pure gold cannot be given in exchange. Can't get gold, can't buy it. Nobody, not even Trump. Nor can silver be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir and precious onyx, sapphire, gold or glass cannot equal it. Nothing can get it, no matter what you do. Nor can it exchange for articles of gold, coral, crystal, not to be mentioned. And the acquisition of wisdom is above. Pearls, the topaz of Ethiopia, can't equal it. Nothing. Where are you going to go? Nor can it be valued in pure gold. Where then does wisdom come from, folks? Where can I get some wisdom to live my life? Uh, where is the place of understanding? Thus it is hidden from the eyes of all the living, concealed from the birds. There is no wisdom in this world. None. That's what the, he's saying. Hell, Abaddon, death. I love this phrase. Make them real, a people almost. Death and hades. says... With our ears, we have a report of it. You know, every time when I read this, every, whenever I'm reading it, it's like I see down deep in hell and death. And it's like the, it's, it's personified into a person. And hell and death says, uh, I think I heard of it once. It's not down here. Not down there. Um, I'm lost. Thank you. Okay, good. God understands its way. God knows. And he knows his place, for he looks to the ends of the earth and he sees everything under the heavens. When God meted out, uh, uh, imparted weight to the wind, meted out the waters of the measures, when he set a limit for the rain and the course for the thunderbolt, then God sought and declared, he established it and also searched it out. And now that says, and to man God said, behold, here is the answer for life. The fear of the Lord, mm, that's wisdom. To depart from evil is understanding. Wisdom begins with God. 
Life begins with God. That's what the Shema is teaching us. So too, Deuteronomy 6, 2, so then your son, your grandson, might fear the Lord to keep all his statutes, his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be prolonged. If I can summarize it, righteousness lengthens and blesses life. Now, it doesn't mean if you're righteous, you're going to live long today. But it does mean you live righteous, godly, and obey his commandments, and God will bless your life. Not sure how well, how he's going to choose to do it, but he will. Sin shortens and ruins your life. The nation of Israel going into the lands guaranteed for blessings was whether or not they were going to follow God. God said, I will increase your wealth. I'll increase your numbers. I'll give you long life. I will make everything go well with you. You know, it's amazing how we have the answers to life and we don't do it. God said it to Israel, and he's saying it to us. Follow me, obey me, and I will bless your life. Don't ask me how he'll bless it, because I don't know how he's going to bless it. But he will. We read Proverbs 3. My son, don't forget my teaching. Let your heart keep my commandments for length of days, blessings, years of life, and peace they will add to you. Long life is in her right hand and left hand. There are riches and honor. Proverb 10, the fear of the Lord, it prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. That's what Moses is saying right now. Deuteronomy 6, 3, he goes, Oh, Israel, here's my thy phrase. You should, Israel, you should listen and be careful to do, to do it, that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly. That off something's wrong. Because you should know them. They're simple. Simple questions. They ask these brilliant people who know everything about every topic except the Bible. I love seeing those things because we need to bleed God's commandments. We should be reading it all the time, being familiar with it. Every situation, every, almost every situation in life, you can almost quote a verse. I remember when I first got saved, we went to this thing called Institute and in Basic Youth Conflicts. Anyone remember that? Only the older. Oh, yeah, right. Bill Gothard. And he did his whole long week thing and whatever you think about him. His basic thing was learn the word of God, memorize the word of God, and chew it. Meditate. And at the end of the week, because it was every night, and then it was all day Friday, all day Saturday. At the end of the week, we were all chewing the word of God. We're all meditating on the word of God. We're all memorizing the word of God. Anybody remember what you were all memorizing? Someone should. We all memorize the same thing. I think that's what he suggested. Psalm 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of the sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scorners, but his delight is in the law of God, in his word. And in his law, he meditates. He dwells upon this word day in and day out. That's what we do. When I be, before I became a believer, when uh, Mark used to share his faith with me all the time and witness to me, it didn't matter. I'd bring up sports, politics, current events, girls. He would look at me and go, you know, that reminds me about a story in the Bible. Always got it in. That's what we should do. Every, every, almost every situation in life, you got a story. You got a thought. My good friend, Mike Radonik, he always calls me, he goes, how come you always find some obscure little thing in the Bible to pertain to that? You're always finding something somewhere because everything happens. It clicks, something's popping up everywhere. If you're reading the word of God, that's what will happen. 
That's what Moses is telling us. Be familiar. Look at 6, 7, Deuteronomy. You shall teach these words diligently to your children. Talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, all the time, all the time. My kids, my wife, they watch the girly movies. And I say, that garbage. That's so unbiblical. That's horrible. That goes against this, 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 this. And then they look at me and they go, and you think Bruce Willis does better in the movies you see? They get me. But it's always something. Because it all pertains. It all dwells in it. It's all there. He says, you shall teach them all the time. Parents teaching your children. When? All the time. All the time, everywhere you go. In our home, it was just natural. We happen to have it. I'm thrilled. My kids are now, I'm not thrilled that they're gone, but it's gone. But every day, when the kids, kindergarten, first, second, third, all after 12, we sat around that breakfast table. Said, what if they had to get up early? So we got up earlier. But we always had four people at our breakfast table and always four people at our dinner table. And that television was never allowed on during any meal. It could have been the Super Bowl. It could have been the World Series. That television was never allowed on during a meal. To this day, we don't do it. We'd sit there at breakfast, and we'd read a one-page devotional. And I'd say to the kids, what verse? We read a verse. What's it mean? What's it? And we prayed, short. They got the word in the morning. At night, we talked. What was your day? Like, well, how's that pertaining to the Bible? Oh, he's got the word of God. That's what you do. I had a camp program for chosen people ministries. And I said to myself, I went to camp as a kid, eight weeks when I was five years old, the whole summer, Jewish camps. And I said, so when we started Messianic camps, I said, I have to have a camp where the kids have to think before camp, we're going to have fun. When they're at camp, we're having fun. Afterwards, we had fun. All I wanted the kids to think about is camp. Fun, 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 great, meaningful, tremendous. And you know what my ultimate thing was? I was devious. I said, I'm going to sneak attack the kids with the Bible. How did you get that in? I got it in. We always had the Bible hour in the morning. Then we had teams and competition with sports. But I had individuals walking around asking the kids, did you memorize your verse? Ten points. They all wanted to do everything for points. Then when they went to sleep, the counselor, I said, give them a verse, a little prayer. Always oh, the Bible. My granddaughter, novice, she's a year and a half. She sits at our breakfast table now and Becca's visiting us when we're going down there. And, you know, she's all over the place, this kid. And she's doing this and this and this and she's going wild. And all of a sudden we'll say to Nava, we'll say, we're going to pray. I told you, she'll stop everything. She just waits. We say the baracha. We say in English, we look at her and she goes, amen. Can't say amen yet, but she's getting close. That's what you do. You got to teach your children the commandments. This week I was in New York visiting a family, stayed at their house. I got such a blessing because in the morning I got there to their kitchen and uh, the kids went off and I was with the mother and father and I sat there and on the table there was a devotional book. I just was so blessed. So I asked the mother, she goes, yeah, we got through a page. I try to do it as much as I can. Not every day, but she does. But it was nice. This is what Moses is saying, folks. You got to love God. You got to do his commandments. 
then you got to teach them. It's not my job to teach your kids. It's not those Shabbat school teachers who are teaching your children, folks. That's all extra and gravy. It's up to you. That's what God wanted and designed it all along. When you look, when you sit by the way, when you walk by the way, it's you got to always be teaching the Word of God. And finally, follow along. God's Word should occupy your lives all the time. Deuteronomy 6, 8, and 9. We know it well. We should. You will bind them, these words, these commandments, you'll bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates. And those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, that means you're not Jewish, but that's okay. We love you anyway, but that's why you're here. And so we're going to teach you what this means. What are these? Well, they're little black boxes. They're called phylacteries. When I was uh, 12 in the synagogue, uh, I think, I mean, we were there for five years learning history and Jewish things, but the last six months before your bar mitzvah, you, had, you joined something called the Tefillin Club. And we had the I like the Tefillin Club. Because, well, you know, we were in Hebrew school three times a week, just to let you know. We were there twice during the week, and Sunday morning they had, uh, we had uh, uh, Sunday school as well. But we had uh, Hebrew school throughout the week, two hours, three times a week. But on Sunday morning, six months, we loved six months before the Bar Mitzvah, we were able to join the Tefillin Club. Now, we weren't so godly and spiritual. We were happy because we got locks and bagels and cream cheese. It was a special club. But they also taught us how to put on these little black boxes, the phylacteries. We put it on our forehead. It had long black straps that go behind your shoulders. You had another little black box. It goes on your left forearm. And you wrapped it around your arm seven times for God's number. And it formed a sheen on your fingers, which stood for Shaddai, the Almighty. And we did that. What was in these boxes? Well, Deuteronomy 6, Deuteronomy 11, 13 through 21. You shall take these commandments. This verse, look, look. You shall take these commandments as a sign on your hand, on your, front, on your forehead. Put it on your arm. Why on your left arm? Closest to your heart. Why in your head? In your mind. Do you think God wanted them to outwardly put this on their head and on their arm? Maybe. But he had something else, didn't he? He wanted you thinking about it. I don't like to use the word obsessed, but it's got to be part of your life. Morning, noon, and night. I'm asking you to be a fanatic for God. Or just a normal believer, the way you're supposed to be. You should have God's word on your heart, in your mind, all the time. That's what God wants. You see, I mean, our beliefs, our faith, everyone, rises and falls on the resurrection of Messiah. It does. What you believe rises and falls on whether or not holiday first fruits took place, whether Yeshua was raised, which is given. But your daily lives, your actions, living out your life. I put it here, our daily lives and our actions. It begins, it continues, and it ends with love for God and his commandments. It's all about the Shema. If you are doing God's will, if he's the center of your life and your heart 
and you're doing his commandments. I heard something a couple weeks ago. I liked it. Listen carefully to this. If you are doing all these things, it says, then we can say, here comes the quote. It was in our bulletin. It will all work out in the end. And if it hasn't worked out, it's not the end. We have a quote in the New Covenant that says that, don't we? And God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to God's purpose. It'll all work out in the end. God will bless you. But listen, he must be the center. His word must be followed. Making God's commandments the center of your life today will bring God's blessings in your life. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love for us and the way you provide for us. But you ask of us loyalty, love, and a heart for you. May we all answer today as you wish. Lord, we do love you. We ask that you change our lives because of your word, for we ask it all in Yeshua's name. Amen. Let's all stand together. We're going to conclude. We're going to conclude with a benediction. And I'm sorry, men have to walk around lost this next for another day without their lovely wives, but I never know what to do when Fran's gone, but that's okay. Let's all bow together for the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you his peace. B'shem Yeshua Mishichenu, Baruch HaBab, Hashem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and our Messiah Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.